So, you know, Americans eat three times the global rate of meat. So we have to make a difference. So what if everybody in our country cut their meat intake by half? You know, wouldn't that be a huge impact? You know, we're, I mean, I don't think that our entire country will go vegetarian or vegan, but what if all the omnivores started cutting back their meat intake? You know, that's my goal. That was Sharon Palmer, and we're talking about finding joy in plant-based living on episode 21 of the Namely Marley podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. I'm Marley. Thanks so much for joining me today for the 21st episode of the podcast. You know, this show is dedicated to living a creative, healthy, and passion-filled life. My goal is to share interviews, thoughts, and stories about inspired living. This covers everything like, you know, diet, plant-based eating, creativity, you name it. Uh, The goal is to help us all learn to uh, know what it takes to live our life to our best potential. I think those are such easy words to say and not always easy to do. So I hope this podcast helps. Today's guest is Sharon Palmer. She's a vegan blogger and cookbook author. And what are we talking about today? I think that's a great question. (laughs) Sharon and I are talking about um, how people can make the transition to a vegan diet and how really that can look different for a lot of people. I mean, some people may jump in feet first and just go all in as far as uh, making the change to a vegan diet. And others will do things a little bit more gradually. At least that's how I did it. I started out as vegetarian and then little by little, I kind of eked my way towards vegan diet. And Sharon talks about her gradual approach to her vegan plant-based diet as well. And so I'm hoping if you're, you know, it's something that you're thinking about, or if you're on that journey as well, you might get some encouragement from that. Um, Sharon recommends to focus on crowding out things on your plate for more plant-based food options. And eventually you reach that point where you actually end up craving steamed broccoli. I know that sounds, you know, if you're not into broccoli, that may sound kind of crazy, but it is true. Sharon says, it's a beautiful thing that Mother Nature has provided all this variety and beautiful color and taste. So it can take a little bit of time to get used to it, but once you're there, you know, you're going to love it. So let's go straight to that interview. Here's today's feature interview with Sharon Palmer. Hey, everyone. I'm happy to have Sharon Palmer, who's author of the book, The Plant Powered Diet and The Plant Powered for life on the show today. Sharon, welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you today because I love your books and the approach that you have to plant-powered living. But I thought it might be helpful for folks if you could take a moment to uh, just begin by talking about your background. Yes, I'm a registered dietitian. So um, I studied nutrition. I was fortunate enough to go to Loma Linda University which is a plant-based campus. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I did not know that. University, yeah. It's one of the few, um, you know, medical schools and, and yeah. you know, you know uh, healthcare uh, universities that you can actually live on a plant, uh, you know, plant-based campus. Huh. And cool. it's actually one of the blue zones too in, in Dan Buettner's book about um, uh, areas around the world that have the highest longevity. So that's where I studied nutrition, and did you choose it for one. that reason or that just happened to be the case? Well, um, I was semi-vegetarian at that time, so but it was also kind of a renowned uh, university for nutrition. So all those things kind of factored in um, to my 
to my attending school there and studying. Um, so I, I became a registered dietitian and um, started really focusing in journalism, um, writing articles, becoming an editor of a couple of nutrition publications, and then eventually writing my books. Oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, it sounds like the experiences that you've had have really, you know, you, I know you have a blog too, right, where you, you write about food and nutrition. That's right. I have a blog um, called the Plant Powered Blog. It's under SharonPalmer.com. And uh, I post every day about something about plant-based living, whether it's um, I, uh, Meatless Monday recipes, um, how-to guides, um, scientific articles on the benefits of plant-based diets, um, traveling tips, you name it. I, I post a lot of uh, great information on the plant-based life. You, you post something every day? Yes. Wow. It's ridiculous. It <laughs> is. It's amazing is what it is. Yeah. So you're a registered dietitian. Have you always been interested in food and nutrition? I have been. You know, my parents were both farmers. Um, they both came, my mo mother came from a farm in Arkansas. My dad came up from a farm in Minnesota. And we always had a large, large, um, you know, home vegetable garden, even when we lived in the suburbs. So, you know, food was always a big connection for me. Uh, so uh, even when I was young, I cooked, you know, for our family. I baked bread. I made my own granola. It was, it was always something very much part of my life and passion when it came to food and nutrition. So did, did you know early on that you were really going to be getting into a, a career related to food? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I knew I knew I had no doubts. Um, and then when I discovered there was actually a field um, called dietetics, in which you, you know, you studied nutrition, you actually worked in that field um, of helping people eat a more healthful diet, then it's like, okay, this is for me. And I and I've never regretted that. Oh, that's great. And you have kind of a unique approach too, because it's not as if every dietitian also then goes into recipe development, but because you've got that background and passion for food, it seemed to work really well together. Yeah, I, I really like the food and the culinary aspect too. Um, some yeah. dietitians are more focused in the nutritional side. Yeah. And I'm also interested in that. But I really love the culinary aspect. And I'm I I'm really passionate about the idea that healthy food is delicious. I think for so long, people think that's uh, like an oxymoron, healthy and delicious, yeah. you know. Yeah. But really, I mean, whole plant-based food should be delicious and it yeah. should be beautiful and vibrant. And, you know, making that connection is important. It's so interesting how many people have that in their mindset. Like, I sometimes I feel like I have a chip on my shoulder, like I'm trying to say, look, this is so good. And, uh, but yeah, so many people just like, oh, that's vegan. Like if, if you could bring in cookies and, and when they find out that they're vegan, they, if that's if they think there's some nuts and twigs in them or something, I have, I don't get it. <laughs> I know you're right. Yeah. I, I, a lot of times I don't even say it because I think, yep. you know, pe omnivores don't realize that some of their mo favorite foods are vegan, you know? Yes. So if, you know, I can put, bring something to a potluck, like a quinoa, kale salad with hazelnuts. And it's like the first thing gone, you know? Yes. And if I had said that was vegan, if I put a little sign on it, then yeah. it probably would be sitting there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it always cracks me up because to me, it seems like the thing that we should be turning our nose up to is the fact that 
that has eggs in it and eggs really it's like the reproductive system of a chicken <laughs> you know that's kind of disgusting if you think about it <laughs> i know <laughs> you know i was talking to a vegan chef and he said something that i i just thought was brilliant because you know i was asking him about plant based trends and he and he was saying you know as a chef if you're working with meat meat is so unattractive on a plate you know yeah. it's gray, it's brown, it's dead looking. Mm -hmm. um, but the only really colorful things for a chef on a plate are the plant foods. Like, you know, that's where your color pops. Yes. So and it's interesting when you really think of it, it's true. It's like the animal foods are really not that attractive when it comes to the appearance on a yes, plate. So it's true. It's really, yeah. the, you know, the red cabbage and the, you know, green parsley. Those are all the things that make the plate come alive. Exactly. Yeah. So I love in your book, I'm, you know, I have the book in front of me, the plant powered, uh, plant powered for life book. And I really love that book. And you say in there, if you would offer one piece of nutritional advice, it would be to fall in love with plants. <laughs> and I love that. And I'm just curious, why does you think that some people have a struggle with that? I, I guess that's one of my favorite <clears throat> sayings, because I really am in love with plants. And I, you know, I think that part of the problem com comes from our food system because we're yeah. so detached from our food. We don't know how food is grown. You know, if you live in a city, you may have never seen a farm. You may have never seen like carrots growing in the soil with their pretty little lacy green tops coming out yeah. and those beautiful orange roots, you know. So when you when you really get more in touch with food, you they are beautiful. They're colorful. Like just look at heirloom tomatoes, for example. I mean, there are thousands of varieties of tomatoes and they come in every color of the rainbow and each one has its own flavor, profile and texture. And, and so it's just such an intriguing thing that Mother Nature has provided all this um, variety and, you know, beautiful, vibrant colors and tastes, you know. So it's easy to kind of forget that when, when you're shopping in the middle of a supermarket and everything comes in a box and you're not seeing those beautiful whole plant foods anymore. You're, or even this, even the produce section. Every carrot looks ex exactly alike. Yes. You know the tomatoes are hard as rocks. Yes. And you know that's not even as appealing as uh, as it could be. So I really, <clears throat> you know, if people can really think and appreciate how beautiful plants are, and that throughout our history, it's been sustaining us. You know. Yeah, I, I think, think you, that's the thought. It's such a great uh, discussion point because I'm on the I'm on the park board here in my community, and uh, we actually have a a farm park that we've been working and building. And we had some speaker come in and talk to us about that. And one of the things that he said is that uh, it used to be like one in two, or you know, every you know, you could have maybe one in four people uh, either grew up on a farm or had a family member that was you know on a farm. And now that number is you know getting so much smaller the the number of us that have had interactions with people in agriculture is you know it's really reducing and it's kind of disappointing i think it's good for us to to know where our food comes from exactly and you know i realize that we our society has changed you know and yeah. that we all can't have little vegetable gardens in our backyards but you know what we can do is we can go to the farmers market and these yes. are increasing dramatically yeah. And if you go to the farmer's market, even a couple times a month, it will change your attitude towards yeah. plants. I mean, they are so beautiful at the farmer's market. Oh, they are, yes. 
So that, you know, that would, can change the dynamic. And I think people can really start appreciating, um, you know, the, just the, the simplicity and beauty of these, of these foods. Yeah, love it. Hey, can you talk about your journey toward um, how you, you know, you, did you have a progression of going towards a plant-based diet? Or it sounds like at one point you were vegetarian. I mean, how did that go for you? Yes, well, I mentioned that I grew up in a semi-vegetarian home. Um, yeah. My parents were almost vegetarian, but, you know, every once in a while we would have meat. Um, so that was kind of, I never really developed an appetite for it as a mm. child, you know. But um, after graduating from school, um, I, ha I was a pescatarian for a while. Mm. And then um, I went to a lacto-ovo vegetarian. And then um, I had never been a vegan before. But as a dietitian, I felt like, you know, I need to know what this is like. So I, I did a one-month challenge. I gave myself a one-month challenge just as research for myself, you know. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Uh, this is not hard. It's not hard. I actually, and I felt so good about my place in the world, you know, just by that simple thing. So I thought, okay, this is it. So that's, that's kind of what happened on my journey. Yeah, that's great. I, I love pointing that out because I think sometimes if people are kind of, you know, veg curious and they haven't done it themselves, they, you know, it's easy to think that some people have just been vegan forever. And I think most people are on a progression. Yeah, I find that to be true. I mean, every once in a while I meet people that just cold turkey yeah. from an omnivore to a vegan. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, I think, do make that progression. There, You know, as we know, there are about twice as many more vegetarians as vegans, um, depending on which survey you look at. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, a lot of vegetarians may just, you know, take that little challenge, which I think is a really good way to experience something because then you don't have to have this scary commitment. You know, you can just try it and it, it's a safe thing. And if, if it works for you, then great, you know? So giving yourself like a finite period of time as a trial, I think is a, is a really effective way to try something too. So was there any food that was really hard to give up? <laughs> you know, for me, uh, I, you know, a lot of people say cheese and it's true. Cheese um, was probably the one, but it wasn't really, I was not a huge cheese eater anyway. Mm. So it, I was almost vegan anyway. So really, it, yeah. but I think the hardest thing, and the, I hear this from a lot of people, I'm sure you do too, is just the social aspect. You know, yes. it's very easy to be lacto-ovo vegetarian in today's society. It's, it's, it's like a, yeah, so simple. But once you, you know, um, go to vegan, maybe when you're dining out and like at people's houses, that's, that's the most um, challenging aspect of it that people have to prepare themselves for. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, that's definitely been uh, the challenging part on my end. And especially hard, like when a family member, you know, family dinner will say, hey, I made this vegan dish for you. And, and you know that they use, you know, there's some cheeses in the store that are yeah, they're, I don't know, like they have casein in them or whatever. It's like, I don't right. know why they do that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I know those kind of situations are always hard. I, I choose to go ahead and just eat it because I love to respect the effort on the part of my family member. And I hate to see mm -hmm. food go to waste as well. So, but yeah, those kind of, I think every person has to decide how they're going to handle those kind of situations. And it's not easy. I agree 100% with you on that, because I feel, you know, some people, you know, there's a 
there's a kind of a spectrum of interpretation of how you're going to take your vegan diet on the road. Yeah. And some people are meticulous. Like, you know, they, they even get to the point where they ask if the, if the food has been um, prepared on the same um, (laughs) grill or cooking pot or whatever, you know, so that's very, very limiting and that's completely fine. That's an individual choice. But my attitude is a little bit more like yours because um, you know, it, it, I have to balance my lifestyle with how I'm going to negotiate yes. traveling. I, I do a lot of traveling. Um, but at home, of course, it's like, it's so easy at home these days, you know. Oh, yeah. But but it's just, you know, eating out, traveling, and going to other people's homes, it's always a little bit of a challenge. My theory is it's it's really never possible to be, possible to be 100%. So at some point, you're 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 making decisions all along the way. So, you know, like you say, at home, I'm, you know, I can, it's very easy for me to be, you know, uh, higher up to, towards 100%. But if I'm out and about, and I, I'm, I'm just not as picky about it at that point. Yeah, I have actually met a fair number of people that they're completely vegan in their at home, but when they travel, they go to lacto ovo. Yes. And um, personally, I can't do that because I'm intolerant to dairy. Oh, but, yeah. um, but, um, you know, I can understand that. And I've always believed that it's a personal choice. You know, I, I mean, this is, you know, there, it's not like, I always say there's not like there's a vegan police walking around following you <laughs> yeah. and telling you, you know, what you yes. did wrong. This is your personal journey and you, yeah. have, and it, you know, you do what's right for you. And, you know, the, it's interesting because all the data on vegetarians, um, a lot of the researchers are pointing out that a lot of vegetarians are almost vegan. So when you look at these statistics and you see like maybe 5% of the population is vegetarian, maybe 1% is vegan, um, a lot of those vegetarians are almost vegan. Um, But they're, you know, they're, they're eating almost vegan, but they don't, you know, they're not 100%. So it's kind of interesting, um, you know, that there are more people in that kind of category. Yeah, and I think it's growing. It seems like I hear about uh, vegan and vegetarians uh, a lot more than I used to. Yeah, definitely. So I noticed that you also offer gluten-free options in your recipes. Are you gluten-free too? No, I'm not. Um, I'm not gluten-free, but I know that a lot of people um, are gluten-free, so I want to yeah. respect respect their choices. Yeah. So uh, I do offer that, and I do hear from a fair num- a number of people that are trying to follow both, both kinds of diets, you know, so yeah, I want to make it easy for them. And you know, what's interesting is that some people think, oh, well, it'd be super hard. It's hard enough to be vegan. It would be super hard to be vegan and gluten-free. But you know, when you eat a whole plant food diet, you'd be surprised how it's not, it's not as difficult because Mm -hmm. if you're eating whole foods, then, you know, you just cut out almost all of the gluten yeah. that's in diets. Of course, you know, you, you wouldn't be eating things like farro, but you could eat quinoa and, yeah. um, you know, brown, brown rice, rice and millet yeah. and, you know, so, uh, and of course there's no gluten in fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes, which should be the bulk of your diet, you know? Right. So if you're eating whole foods, it's, it's, it's not that hard to manage. I, I completely agree. Yes. And, um, I think sometimes the reliance on too much bread is, it's not healthy either. So I, I'm not entirely gluten-free. I try to kind of minimize excessive gluten. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. 
I'm kind of in that same camp. I mean, yeah. personally and professionally, I don't think everybody needs to be on a gluten-free diet. Yes, but I, I think agree. I think Americans do consume too much in right. one type of grain. So it's surprising, you know, even not trying to be gluten-free. I mean, I eat steel-cut oats for breakfast every morning. That's my favorite breakfast. So that's gluten-free. And yeah. if you're not eating a lot of bread, then your diet is pretty low in gluten. Right. Exactly. What about, I, I want to tell you something else I really liked about your book, which is that you, you talk about uh, plant-powered goals and you actually provide three options, which is the plant-powered vegan, a plant-powered vegetarian, and a plant-powered omnivore. And I want to tell you, I really love this because I know I'm, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, and so there are, this is like the heart of beef country. And I know a lot of people who are never going to give up meat. And so, you know, I, I am not going to be that kind of vegan and be pushy with them. I, you know, would love for them to give that up, but I don't, I don't go into that with them. But I love the idea that I could share a book with them like this that gives them options of how they can increase plants in their life and still, you know, if they really feel like they have to have it, you know, they can be their omnivore and still increase the amount of plants in their life. Yeah, that's just kind of the core of my philosophy because I think everybody in the universe could could uh, um, eat a plant-based diet, you know, because the yeah. definition of a plant-based diet, according to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, is a diet that focuses on plants. Ah, so a lot right. of times people are using plant-based. I use it as well as meaning it's vegan. But the actual definition is a diet that focuses on plants and minimizes animal foods, right? So yes. everybody could do that, you know. Yes. and. You know, this is so important for the environment. I mean, we have consistent data that shows that animal agriculture has the most negative impact on our environment. It's not sustainable. We can't continue to right. eat animal products at this level in our country. So, you know, Americans eat three times the global rate of meat. Mm. So we have to make a difference. So what if everybody in our country cut their meat intake by half? You know, wouldn't that be a huge impact? Yeah. You know, we're... I mean, I don't think that our entire country will go vegetarian or vegan, but what if all the omnivores started cutting back their meat intake? You know, that's my goal is to try to get more people to realize that, you know, they could do meatless Monday or, you yeah. know, they could skip bacon at breakfast, you know, right. and have, ha or even like half of the time, you know. Right. So, um, you and know, do, we have There's other... things like BB6 where you're vegan before six, those kinds of things. Exactly. Yes. All of those strategies, you know, because sure there are, you know, there are a fair amount of vegetarians and vegans, but most of us are omnivores. Um, so if we just started switching our plate, you know, and so I think that we we can't ignore that, and we have to help people realize that if you don't want to give it all up, just cut back, you know, and start yeah. eating more whole plant foods. I love it, and like I say, it's also just another great way of reaching out to folks that you know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to share a vegan book with my friends. However, a book like this one that um, it talks about ways that you can add plants to your regular diet, I think that's just brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I'm hoping that that really catches on. And you know, we have um, data that shows it. people are reducing their meat intake in the U.S. And, and you know, uh, some of the surveys are showing about half of Americans realize they should cut back on meat and they're trying to make some effort. So this is positive. You know, yeah. I think there's a lot of good um, energy going that direction. Excellent. So 
I think the topic of diet can be so confusing. I imagine this is the same feeling a lot of people are going through right now, especially this time of year where we're all talking about diets. But so like one day you hear low fat is the answer. And the next day you hear, you know, oh, you've got to have a lot of fat in your diet. I'm just curious if you've seen these kinds of opposing trends and if you have recommendations for people on how to how to deal with that. Yeah, I, I, it really drives me crazy too with so many fad diets out there. And, yeah. you know, if there's one thing we've learned about diets in the nutrition re- research world is that they don't work, you know, uh, because people don't stay on them. Yeah. Um, you know, people consider a diet something you go on and off and that will never work. A, a diet has to be sustainable. So a diet should never be something that you feel deprived or, that you have guilt over eating something that's not allowed. It should be something that you feel good about and that you're not hungry and, you know, that you're not obsessing over. It should be a lifestyle, a way, a way that you eat and feel good about it and it nourishes your body and soul. So finding a diet pattern that fits like that for you is really important, you know, which I think um, a plant-based diet really does fit in that in that um, kind of definition, because it's, it's more of a lifestyle. It's more of a, Mm. of a a way of eating. And we know that when, when you eat whole plant foods, that's about the healthiest way that you can eat. So just by focusing on eating more whole plant foods, you know, that's like, you know, one of the major recommendations for an optimal diet. And then of course we have all these little things like low fat, high protein, you know, low carb, all these different recommendations. But um, my interpretation of the latest nutrition research is that, you know, the optimal diet for health, for disease protection, for longevity, is to eat uh, a whole foods plant-based diet that is moderate in fat, that provides enough protein, you know, to meet your um, protein needs. And of course, uh, you know, is moderate in carbohydrates because most plant-based diets are, are going to have you know, moderate to moderate high amounts of carbohydrates because the the plant foods are carbohydrate sources. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's low in refined foods, low in um, salts and sugars and refined carbohydrates like, you know, um, white flour, white sugar, those kinds of things. So uh, that's what I uh, believe is is the most optimal diet for health. Ah, That's good. And I think that helps people, like you say, you know, that there's so much information that's out there. And um, I just think a, a moderate approach is probably a good one. And and to look at something like this is something I want to do for my life. It doesn't, you know, not just I'm going to do this for six weeks to get back into my genes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, I mean, sometimes we all have to cut back on, yeah. on uh, you know, our, our calorie intake to make up for vacation or holidays or whatever, but you can do that within a healthful eating plan. You don't have to go on a, like you mentioned, a three week, you know, detox where you're drinking lemon juice with cayenne pepper (laughs) and all those things. (laughs) Or cabbage soup. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's just cutting back on portion sizes um, within that healthy eating plan and exercising more too. Exercise is so important. Oh, so true. And I, Actually, that's a really good next step because I think, you know, we talk about weight loss as a big uh, reason or motivator for people to talk about a particular diet. But then there's also like just getting healthier. You know, maybe someone's uh, been, you know, they want to feel better or maybe they've been recently recently diagnosed with some condition like diabetes and so they're looking for a diet to help them get healthier. I'm just curious if you have 
you know, recommendations for how a plant-powered diet can help people as far as their health uh, goals are concerned? Well, you know, a plant-based diet right now is, looks like one of the most helpful approaches to disease management and yeah. disease prevention. Um, we have so much research in the last 10 years that is pointing this direction. And one of the things I like to point to is the Adventist Health Study that actually came from Loma Linda University, where I yeah. attended school. And this is one of the first important studies um, that looked at diet patterns and compared them. I don't know if you've read about this, but they took 96,000 people and they were um, Adventists and Adventists have a very high rate of vegetarianism. Yeah. But what was nice about this group of people is they could compare um, omnivores with semi-vegetarians, with vegetarians, with pescatarians and vegans. So they had five diet patterns and they looked at everything from type two diabetes, cancer, heart disease, weight, obesity, even carbon footprint. And they pretty much found that the vegans had the lowest risk of everything. Wow. And, and it was kind of a um, stepwise approach so that the vegans had the lowest overall. The um, lacto-ovo was the next followed by the semi-vegetarian, pescatarian all the way up. Wow. So, you know, it, it really demonstrated that the more plant-based your diet, the, the lower risk of all these conditions. So this is like one of the first studies we have that is showing this really important information. So, I mean, my take-home message is that the more plant-based you get, the better it will be for you. Um, so find a place along that spectrum. Try to eat as many plants as you can. And, you know, you'll, you can reduce your risk of all these conditions. Let the plants kind of crowd out the other stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a, that's a good point because a lot of people think it's what you're not eating. Well, you're not eating meat, which is, of course, important. But it yeah, is what yeah. you are eating because yeah. the same study um, that I was mentioning actually looked at the diet patterns of vegans. And vegans are eating like huge amounts of vegetables, for example. Yeah. I mean, of course we are. We know that. But when you see it in a survey and you see the graphs compared to um, omnivores, it's like huge amounts of these things that we know have antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. Fiber. And yeah, yeah fiber, uh -huh. all the stuff. So things like fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes. You know, vegans are eating so many more of these foods than omnivores. So, and now we're learning how all of those impact our, you know, our gut bacteria and how important that is for overall health too. Right. That's another thing that's yes. so hot right now is, is the gut uh, microbiome. Yes. And we know that fiber is what friendly bacteria feed on. If you have a low fiber diet, you have very poor diversity and numbers of, uh, probiotics or these friendly bacteria in your in your gut yeah so that's another thing you know speaking of this uh i my background is in healthcare and, and not like you know in the delivery of it but uh, you know administratively working with uh, primary care practices in particular and i just found it interesting how uh, many people who received some kind of new diagnosis or you know even if it's an existing diagnosis that is uh, escalating but Still, uh, how few people receive counseling on nutrition or exercise as part? You know, it's like it just seems like immediately they 
prescription pad is pulled out right. and, and really no discussion about changes to diet. It's so sad. It it's is. absolutely true because I worked in clinical dietetics for about 15 years. And uh, the way our medical system is set up, it's not about prevention. It's about yeah. treatment. Yeah. And, you know, even if you are diagnosed with something like diabetes and are, you know, you get discharged from a hospital right away. If you even went to a hospital and who, you know, yeah. maybe somebody throws a piece of paper at you and you're not made aware of, you know, of the importance of seeing a dietitian to sit down and talk to you about diet strategies. And the same, you're right, even like cholesterol management, you know, you're given a prescription of statins and not even talked to yes. about about the dietary changes or the exercise changes you could make, you know. And studies show that diet and exercise is more effective than pharmaceuticals for cholesterol management. But, you know, it, it, we're not taking that route in our, in our system. And I think we're learning too, like, you know, for example, with statins, things like, you know, the long-term side effects of, of those kinds of drugs, you know, can, can really have an impact on a person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are no side of negative side effects yeah. from diet and diet and exercise, unless of course you injure yourself by yeah. <laughs> exercising. But here, you know, pharmaceuticals will always have side effects, you know, so yeah, here we have a, a treatment plan that doesn't cost you anything. It's just your daily, you yeah. know, eating style. And it's more effective. In fact, um, there is one really interesting statistic that if a lifestyle could reduce your risk of chronic diseases by 80%. Wow. 80%. That's huge. Huge. And on the flip so, side, we know that chronic diseases are increasing. I think the last study I read said they're increasing by 60%. So, wow. What oh, a, I know. What a flip Eight, we could yes. experience in this country. I know. I mean, you will never find any drug that will promise anything like 80%. No. So uh -uh. here we have something, you know, that is our so att attainable and we're not, you know, we're not taking that, the power of that, that tool. Do you think maybe it's getting better? Are there more doctors that are willing to talk about nutrition and exercise now than, you know, maybe even a few years ago? You know, I think, you know, there are from my observation, because as I mentioned, I go to a lot of nutrition conferences and, yeah. and, um, I see more and more physicians there and it makes me so excited to see, yeah. you know, physicians that care about all this because in the typical training uh, at a medical school, yes. doctors get very little nutrition education. Right. So, um, you know, but they're interested on their own. I think the younger generation of physicians are, they're very interested in prevention and, and the, and diet and lifestyle. So that is going to make a change and hopefully, you know, our healthcare system starts going more towards prevention. Yeah. So um, there, and you know, surveys show that people are more interested in health. I mean, every year that number is going up, you know, when they're shopping, they're thinking about health, you know, and, and not just taste and not just price. Um, so, you know, pe but the problem is, is what is the definition of healthy eating? Yes. That's always oh. so confusing for people. Yes. I think that, the term clean eating is one that drives me crazy because I'll see that and it's like they'll have eggs in there and I, or, you know, they'll have meat even listed. I, yeah. I really just don't understand that concept of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hot one right yeah, now. <laughs> it is. So let's talk a little bit about lifestyle changes because I think 
you know, if you've had a, a recent diagnosis and you're probably really scared and it's easy to make um, lifestyle, easier to make lifestyle changes at that moment. But I think for the average person, if you don't have a health scare, maybe you're thinking you want to prevent something down the road or you're you know, just wanting to get healthier, you know, it can be hard. And I'm just curious if, if you know, you've seen some things that can help people make those lifestyle changes a little bit more easily. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about a few of these things, but people have get, some people get really terrified when you tell them, you know, that you're going to make diet changes or because they think, oh, don't take this away from me and don't take that, or it's not going to be good anymore. But I think it's really important to realize that when you're eating um, a wholesome plant-based diet, is that it's it can be beautiful and delicious and and you should never feel deprived. Yeah. I, there there are forty thousand edible plant species on the planet, so that means there's so much diversity and so much flavor and texture. Yeah. So, you know, just you know, embracing the fact that food will be delicious and that that you know, I promise that that it will taste really good. Yeah. So I think that's encouraging. You know, being positive. And then even taking smaller incremental steps, you know, like starting out with Meatless Monday and, you know, um, one of the things I like to suggest if you're just trying to start eating more plant-based is to use meat as a seasoning because this is something we see all over the world. And most cultures do not eat as much meat as, as Westerners do. Uh, because it's precious, it's expensive, you know, and yeah. and they mostly focus on plants. Like, for instance, in Asia, you know, these typical stir-fry type dishes, there may be one small piece of chicken in a huge serving for a whole family. So it's almost like a seasoning, you know, And but at the same time, you're getting a lot of uh, plant foods in there. So, you know, using more of these techniques where the, the focus of the plate is not the meat, it's it's more of just a little seasoning. Um, and then also I like to suggest that people, you know, start thinking about planning their meals around plants because a lot of times, you know, when we think about, you know, like we could be driving home from work thinking, okay, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Most people start thinking, oh, is it going to be chicken or is it going to be beef? But what if we started thinking that, um, about the plant first, you know, what if we said, oh, I'm going to have kale tonight or I'm going to have lentils tonight and start working the whole menu around the plant food, you know, just switch out our thinking style. Um, And then another of my favorite tips is um, to eating more plant-based is to try to take things that are familiar. Like for for example, my family loves taco night. I mean, that's like a big (laughs) hit. And I think a lot of families love taco night. That is such an easy thing to make plant-based. I mean, if, if you used to always have ground beef as taco meat, just skip that. If you really want something that's that kind of a, a texture, you can have these um, taco meat crumbles that are made yep. from various, like tofu or soy. Yes, but you good. don't even need, yeah, yeah, you don't even need that, though, because you could have black beans. or I love black pinto beans, beans. Yes. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, it can be very interactive. Uh, families love interactive foods so that you have all these toppings, cilantro, um, mm-hmm. olives, um, avocado cubes, chopped tomatoes, all these different toppings. And everybody makes their tacos the way they like it. So, you know, taking those familiar traditions and then making them healthier and more plant-based is a is a really easy thing to do, too. Oh, those are great tips. And I, I love the one that you talked about with deprivation, because I think 
it is easy to feel that way, but I, I, I love the idea of like flipping it to a positive. So for example, you know, Michael Pollan talks about how um, you're really, you're best off to shop that uh, outskirts of the grocery store, the, the back and the sides and not so much the middle. And I think there's some people who feel deprived by that. For, for me, I, I'm not a big fan of shopping anyway. So it's like, oh, great. I don't even have to worry about those middle aisles. I can just <laughs> you know, do my shopping just going around the edges. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Find positive. True. Yeah. Yeah, it is very true. Excellent. It's it's interesting because, you know, I mentioned the farmer's markets and I, I, I live in California, so I know I'm really lucky because we have the best farmer's markets there year round. But you know, I I have gotten to the point where I can almost buy everything I need at a farmer's market. I mean, they have legumes, they have yeah. fresh breads, they yeah. have every fruit and vegetable, they have nuts, they have olive oil, and and it, it, that's how simple life can be. You don't need all these packaged foods, you know. Yes, exactly. And they're all locally grown, and you're supporting local mm-hmm. small businesses. It's all good. It is. Yeah. But it's kind of an example of like how how we think we need all these foods in the center of the supermarket, but we you know you really don't. And if it wasn't that long ago, maybe your grandmother didn't ever have these foods. You know, um, they basically ate just foods that they could grow in their backyard, or yeah. you know, that that's the way we used to live. Yeah, my mom talks about that all the time. That you know they were basically basically uh, vegetarian and not by choice, not a lot like they thought about it. It's just that beans and rice and those kinds of things were mm-hmm. what they ate most of the time. Right. Most of most cultures yeah. uh, lived that way. So Sharon, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I'm just curious, do you have anything, um, anything new coming along, uh, come along the way or you know, anything you can talk about that's coming up for you? Well, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling, speaking at different um, venues about plant-based nutrition. And on my website at SharonPalmer.com, I have a calendar. If if I'm in your area, please come by and I'd love to meet with you. And, you know, I love for people to follow my blog and see if there's anything that they can learn and gain when it comes to that. And I also have a free um, monthly plant-powered newsletter that has recipes and tips and interviews and videos on eating a plant-based diet so there are a lot of great resources on my website if you want to check it out oh that's great and so i just have a couple of fun questions here at the end of the interview um what's one food item you can't live without (laughs) i love that question well i don't know about one because there are so many i know but um oh gosh i i would have to say it's green leafy vegetables because you know, um, I, I actually recommend that everybody have at least one serving every day because they're so rich in nutrients. They are really a powerhouse. And yeah. for, if you're eating a plant-based diet, um, many of them are rich in calcium, which is important. So I make sure I have some kind of a green leafy in my diet every single day. And I, I highly recommend that. I love it. Okay. Do you have a favorite workout? Um, well, you know, I've been going to CrossFit for like six years. I don't know if you're familiar with CrossFit, but yeah. so, but I love rowing. I, I bought an old, um, old fashioned rowing machine. It's no, no electricity. It's all powered and, by, you know, by your human movement, <laughs> but, uh, it's great because it kind of gives you a whole body workout and that, that's kind of what I've started doing for 
for days where it's like over 110 or like raining or cold or something like that in California, or it's like late at night. Um, and I, I also just love hiking too. That's one of my favorite weekend activities. I love workouts that just feel like fun. <laughs> yeah. Like my husband and I play tennis and that it doesn't feel like I'm working out. We're just going out to have a good time. Well, that's the way I feel about hiking. I just, yeah, I, I try to go every weekend. So that's yeah. my fun exercise. I just, it feels good. It, yeah. You know, I, I, of course you get all the endorphins from moving around and just being outside and, the, and, you know, feeling the sun on your face and seeing yeah. a little bit of something growing. It's always so enjoyable. So I was going to ask you what inspires you, but maybe that's what that is, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think, well, I, I actually am very inspired by the way foods are grown. I mean, I already mentioned farmer's markets, but really just inspired about, um, getting more close to, to nature in terms of yeah. the way we grow our food. I started a, a vegetable garden. Um, I've been going at it for several years, but I live in the, in the hills and wild animals keep eating everything I grow. <laughs> but I finally found a way around it. And it's just such a joy to go outside because I work at home and for lunch, like pick fresh arugula for my salad. And uh, I just think that's like, that's like paradise to me. So yes, that's I think um, really even uh, just having that closeness to the way foods are grown is, is really kind of a special thing for me. Oh, that's great. And so people can find you at SharonPalmer.com. But uh, what about on Twitter and, and Facebook? Yes, if you go to SharonPalmer.com, you'll see all of my links. Um, it's probably the easiest way to, to find I'm on Instagram. Um, Facebook, I have a Facebook page and Twitter and Pinterest and you're everywhere. I love it. Sharon, <laughs> I've had such a great time talking with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks to Sharon Palmer for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head over to the show notes page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you're loving the Namely Marley podcast. If so, it would mean the world to me if you'd head over to iTunes and give it a review. Also, you can spread the word about the Namely Marley podcast on Twitter or Instagram or even Facebook. Your shout outs really mean a lot you inspire me. So I hope today's show is helpful and inspirational to you as well. Thanks for listening and have a great week.